So how many of you have like uh, started New Year's resolutions or something like that and you kept with them? Anybody got a few that you kept strong? Good for you. Those are good things. Um, I mean, most people don't, right? <laughs> most, as I mentioned, I, I think I either mentioned it last week <clears throat> or I mentioned on Wednesday night, the, uh, the gym where I go is packed for the first two or three weeks of the year, and then it disappears. Everybody disappears. And I, I wish they would just, just stay, just try, just stay one more week, you know, just, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I think it's amazing how, how you can develop patterns. It's, it's, it's just a weird thing that human beings do. We can, we can develop habits and patterns where we actually become um, almost dependent upon them, which in some instances is good, some not, but in some instances is pretty good. So uh, I do have some pictures to show you. I think we've got a picture of little baby Charlotte, don't we? <clears throat> and uh, she's, a, she's a little chubby thing. She's a little, little fat baby. Um, born this week, so uh, I, I, don't, I don't think Liz is going to be here uh, this morning. I, I don't know. I'm not judging, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> she might, actually. If she shows up, I'll feel stupid. But, uh, so we also have some pictures of some stuff going on in India. This is the top floor of our building, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's, th- this was like uh, last week. It's it, I mean, we're looking good. It's re- they're ready to have services in there. In fact, we've already started services. Uh, we started services two weeks ago. Does that sound right? Two weeks ago. And, uh, and the guys are going out into the village and doing things with that. We're also having clinics. I don't even think I've mentioned this uh, too much lately, but we, um, a pastor nearby, about two hours away, he's, he's kind of our mentor for our guys. Well, he's, he's actually doing that much more now. Him, his wife is a nurse. They are traveling a couple times a month, and they're doing a clinic in our building, which was part of the deal. We wanted, we wanted a church. We wanted a clinic. Uh, we wanted the guys living there. I mean, all these different things that are going on. And uh, they are, they're having the clinics now. I think we're having around 30, somewhere around 30 people that have been showing up to the first couple clinics. And then the guys are going into the villages and doing some of that kind of stuff. And then they'll be having church in the upstairs of this. And, uh, and I think the clinic will be upstairs in there, too, I think, is the way we're doing that. So, but it's, it's just exciting to see all of it. It's exciting to see the stuff that they're doing. And our guys are really stepping up in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, Pastor Bashir is really helping us um, with the guys there. This, the, the reason I wanted to uh, show you this picture, you saw it from a distance here. This is the kitchen, okay? Um, this is pretty much finished. This is, this is one of the things that I notice in going into homes in India that's, that's a little different. They'll, they'll buy a little, um, like a tabletop uh, uh, griddle burner thing, and uh, that's, their, that, that's their whole kitchen. Uh, we, we bought them, for the downstairs where the guys live, we bought them refrigerators and things. They'll have a refrigerator, they'll have a little burner thing, and, uh, and a sink, and that's basically it. That's their entire kitchen. And uh, so, so this is the kitchen upstairs so that they can fix food and have events and, uh, and those kind of things. So um, here's, some, here's some of the people that in one of the villages that they've been going to. We, have, we could show you 50 pictures of, of uh, people in the villages. They're, they're really starting to get out and be able to pray with some of these guys and girls and, and, uh, and starting to see some huge inroads into their lives and starting to see people coming to 
the, the clinics, and then there's, we, we, there's one guy that we know for sure that's got saved that's actually been uh, starting to come to church. But, but they have to walk quite a, sometimes a few miles to get there, so that's kind of hit or miss. Um, but they still show up. Internalize that for a second. If you had to walk five miles this morning to come to church, would it be, would it be a little sparse in here? I don't know. So <clears throat> we also had a, um, a great time this, this, uh, this week, well, Monday night, we had a time of prayer here at the church. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, talking about some of the things we're doing this year, we're going to have a, pr- a prayer meeting every other month through at least the first half of the year. We've got them on the calendar through the whole year. We may, we may add some as we get closer to the end of the year. Part of the reason is I, I was already thinking that's what I would like to do and hope that it would build to that, and many of you have already been asking, can we do this more often than, than every other month? Uh, the answer is yes, and we did have a, a nice collection of people. I don't know if that's the way to say that, but, but a lot of us were here and uh, really had some good times of prayer and and uh, connecting with everybody, and I think you guys know this, but to reiterate it, the things that are going on in your life, prayer is your best asset. It's, it's the most powerful thing you can do. It's the best thing you can do is pray. There's other things you can do, and they're good. You know, if it's a financial thing, you do some stuff. If it's relational, do some stuff. Um, physical, you do some stuff. But if you, in all of those circumstances, if you pray first, if you pray, that's your priority you, you will accomplish a lot more. Prayer is your best asset under all circumstances. And so it's, it's, just, been, it's just been good. I've, I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm saying personally on a spiritual level. I've enjoyed the last couple of weeks just really seeing God um, put some stuff in my spirit and, and where we're headed and, and um, things that you guys are doing and some, some of the uh, leaves rustling of some life groups that we're going to start and people asking me, hey, what if we did this or... Well, if you do that, we've got a lot of things that I think God is doing with us and are doing with you, doing through you. And that's, that's the point of this. That's the point of this whole thing. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> I, I did want to ask for your um, prayer over the next couple of weeks as you, as you think or, or process some stuff. I, I'm not going to go into great detail, but um, my parents are not doing good. They physically have not, my mother has not been doing good physically for a long time, but, um, but we're having to try to figure out what to do for them, about them. Uh, they can't take care of themselves anymore, and I'm getting calls from doctors and hospitals in Texas saying, uh, don't you care? <laughs> you know, that's, I felt like that's what they were saying, but... Um, so we, we've been doing some stuff with the state of Texas and, um, and medical and my parents. and uh, So I don't know, but the next couple of weeks, I'm probably going to have to go get um, my mother. She's the willing one. And, uh, and, and bring her here. And we don't know what that looks like. So uh, just, just pray for us about this. Um, not everybody's on board with these ideas. So... Uh, so, I don't know. I don't even know how to pray about it, except just give us wisdom, direction, those kind of things uh, as we go along with that. So, <clears throat> so we're still looking at missions. Uh, looking at um, so next week we're gonna. I'm gonna talk about some of the financial stuff. How much? How much money that we send out every month? How much money that uh, we give to that? 
uh, just give you some numbers and things like that. And as I mentioned last week, this is, this is our missions kind of in focus and stuff. We're not doing a banquet this year. This is, this is where we're trying to do with this, and there's some very intentional things. And one of them is we want you to really think about who you are, how does missions work, what is the point of this, and what does God want you to do? Does God want you to do something with missions? The answer is yes. The answer will always be yes for that, okay? It's not, well, I don't know if, this is, this is why one of these weird things, and I hear this every now and then, uh, I've been hearing this since I was a kid, and I still hear it from churches and ministries and pastors and things like that, that some, for some reason, there is, a, there is a, a theological idea that God has some people that are supposed to be about the gospel, people getting saved, and, and other people are about other things. Like, the, the way that I hear this is, is your church an evangelistic church or a discipleship church? That is the stupidest statement you can say theologically. Who, who are you supposed to, according to Matthew 24, who are you supposed to make disciples of? Lost people, saved people, mature people, immature people. You go to the lost first and you start making disciples. You go to the lost first. And so the idea that somehow we're a discipling church well, that only works, that's only accurate if you're, dis- if you're getting people saved. If you're not, then you're an in, uh, uh, irresponsible church. You're a disobedient church. You're not a discipling church. But we've taught ourselves over the years in church, we've taught ourselves that discipleship is something that Christians do with Christians. And that's it. It's called teaching, Sunday school, stuff like that. That's, that's not it. That's just not true. It's not accurate. Are we an evangelistic church? Yes. Are we a discipling church? Yes. Because we're supposed to be all of that. You can't pick part of it. You just, you can't. Okay. And so the idea of missions is part of this. Go into all the world. Who did God tell that to? Everybody. I, I, I constantly have this discussion with people from all different. Actually, I have this discussion more with ministers than anybody else. Jesus called everybody to go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, go preach the gospel. He didn't say some. This goofiness that people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. There's no such thing as the gift of evangelism. It doesn't exist. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't exist. You are an evangelist. You are a soul winner. You are a go preach the gospeler. That's who you are. How you do it is how gifts work. I have certain gifts, you have certain gifts. That's how, but that's not what. We're all called. We're all. So here's the truth of this we're all called to missions. Now, what does that look like for you? You've got to figure that out. Well, our desire at Church of Bargate is that every single person at Church of Bargate, kids, teenagers, adults, that you pray that you financially give, and that you figure out how to go. And, we're, and we will we'll talk about that some more. But, but going on little missions trips, going on long-term missions trips, seeking if maybe God wants you to be a missionary. My, my father-in-law did not become a missionary um, until he was 48 years old. <clears throat> that's, that's when he, we, Linda and I were already married. The day they left for Africa, the very first time, he'd been a pastor since before Linda was born and, until then. And 
the day they left for Africa was the day Lynn and I found out we were pregnant with Jonathan, our oldest. So we're about to have kids, and the grandparents-to-be are going to Africa. Who does that? My in-laws does that. So I, I, don't, I don't believe there is a time frame. And the Assemblies of God used to be kind of uh, limited in how they would look at missionaries when it came to age and things like that. They're wide open nowadays for this kind of stuff. You got a call of God on your life? I don't care if you're 75. Do what God tells you. Do what God tells you. God will take care of you. God will honor it. God will he'll provide. He'll do all this stuff. But do what God tells you. So we want everybody to, to give financial. We want everybody to pray. Pray for missionaries. Pray for the lost. All these kind of things. And, uh, and we want you to go. We want you to go to things. Uh, trips. Stuff like that. Send your kids. Send your teenagers. And, and, and be, we are a missions church. We believe in this. Uh, the idea that there can be a church without missions still doesn't make sense in my head. But that's who we are, and that's who we're going to be. And so we're looking at this whole uh, missions thing. And next week, we'll look more at the, the financial side of it. Now, we're not going to take pledges. We're not going to do that kind of stuff. Normally, we do that. We just really are praying that God will put some, some, some stuff on your heart and say, I want to support missions. I want to support missionaries. I want to I do that. And some of you are already making responses and things like that. Just, again, again, at the end of the day, guys, just do what God tells you. Don't do what a church tells you. Don't do what I tell you. Do what God tells you. Seek his face on this kind of stuff. But here's the thing. Go into it with the knowledge he wants you to be involved. You've got to go into it with that. If you go into it saying, God, do you want me to? Here's some other things you could ask in that same vein. God, do you want me to love people? Show me. I need your will, God. I need to know. I need to know your will. God, do you... Do you want me to care about your Bible? Just show me, Lord. I don't know for sure yet. Those are the same kind of questions, right? Go into it saying, God, I know you do, so what does this look like, right? So last week we looked at how beautiful to God and, and should be to us, how beautiful are people. That This is the reason, this is the focus, is that, that people are just amazingly beautiful to God. He made them, he made you, he made me. And he's got a plan, and he wants, he, he really does love us, and he really does want to do some really cool things with us. There's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be things sometimes that he's doing that we don't necessarily like. There's all of that kind of stuff. But he really is excited about us. He's proud for us. He's proud of us. Uh, he loves you. And so, so that's the first kind of thing. That's the key. That's where it all starts. So let's go back to uh, the Garden of Eden, and let's look at, at the, the next step of this which I think this, is, this really is the, the beautifulness of the Bible, and that is the gospel. The gospel really is a beautiful thing. And uh, depending on how you would define the word gospel, that just means good news. But, but what do you, when you say gospel, what does that mean? We're going to look at that a little bit here. But the gospel actually is a beautiful thing, and, and this, is, this is what the Bible is, is the gospel. From, from Genesis to Revelation, it's all one book. It's all one um, work together. We, we like to say things like Old Testament, New Testament. Those are really legitimate things, but, but there's not, they're not different. They're a continuation. They're the same thing, the same story. Same story of the Old Testament, same story of the New Testament. The, the, the key is this little uh, sentence that Jesus says, these little words that Jesus says, hang on the cross. He says, it's finished. That's the key. The, the Old Testament is, is uh, finished in Jesus Christ, completed, and then he fulfills the, the direction that the Old Testament has been trying to get to from the very beginning. We were talking about this um, Wednesday night when, when it comes to the, 
the, the uh, five offices of the church, pastors, evangelists, teachers, pra- uh, prophets, and the other ones, they, they, what does that mean for the church and some of these things? That that, that is how it plays out into the New Testament. Okay? But the, but the Old Testament is still the same story. The Old Testament is Jesus is coming. New Testament is Jesus is coming again. And this is the gospel. And so let's let's kind of uh, unpack the, the, the I, I believe, the, the amazingness, the beautifulness of the gospel. And, and I think I'm going to show you something that you probably haven't um, processed before. In Genesis chapter 3, this is Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat from that one tree. Um, I love it when you're a kid in, in um, Sunday School Children's Church. It's, it's an apple tree, right? <clears throat> Eve ate the apple. Anybody ever heard that? Right? Eve ate the apple. Uh, where do we get apple from? It doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere. Which, by the way, um, was it uh, Snow White ate the apple? Do you know there's a reason why it was an apple in that story, too? You should investigate that. That's just a cool little side thing. But um, <clears throat> it's not an apple. I think, personally, it was a mango. I don't have a lot to base this on, except I really like mangoes. In fact, Nur and I were talking with our, our two pastors in India this week, and they've been planting um, uh, groceries. What do you call that stuff? Vegetables. They've been planting vegetables <laughs> in, the, uh, in the fenced area. <laughs> I don't know what, maybe salt and pepper, I don't know what they're planting, but they've been planting some stuff, and we were talking about it, and I asked them, I asked them like six months ago, are you guys going to plant a mango tree? And yeah, we're going to plant, and apparently, Nur told them, well, don't plant it for sure until we know where, because we're going to put, you know, a little water house and some other stuff out there. I just found this out this week. For six months, there could have been a mango tree in the ground, but no, we don't have a mango tree, and I told them, guys... This is priority number one. You get a mango tree in the ground. We can, we can transplant it if we need to transplant it. When Nerd tells you something, run it by me, guys, especially with mango stuff. We gotta, I, don't, I don't know what it was. We don't know it was an apple tree. That's a cold-weather fruit. I don't know. So either way, so the, Adam and Eve are there, and Satan is trying to convince them to eat the fruit, and they eat it. And here's the thing. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. I've mentioned the fact that that Adam just stood there like a wimp. This is one of the the things in Scripture that just gets me. Guys, don't, don't be an Adam. Be a man. Step up. Stand up. Don't, don't let your wife walk off the cliff. If, if somebody's going to walk off the cliff, you walk off the cliff. Don't let her. All right. At that moment, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. And this, this suddenly they felt shame is a huge thing that happens here. For the first time ever, these two people felt something called shame. Can you imagine never having felt that, and all of a sudden you felt it for the first time? That, that, this is big. The first time, you, you, never felt, you never felt sin. You never felt dirty. You never felt bad. You never felt any of it. And all of a sudden, for the first time, boom, humanity is now, this is part of their, this is part of their legacy. It's always going to be there. 
And suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness, and they sold fig leaves together to cover themselves. And this is important. They sold fig leaves together. That's why you always see when you see the pictures of Adam and Eve in the garden, those kind of things, you either see them like all of their no-no parts or hidden behind trees and stuff like that, or, uh, or fig leaves. This is why. This is why they sold fig leaves together. But this is not, this is not the rest of the story. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called out to the man, where are you? And this is, this is what I was talking about last week. This is the key. This is the missional statement of the Bible. And this is the key focus for missions. This is a statement of missions for us as a people of the Bible. Okay? Now let's jump down to verse 20 because this is, this is, this is the point. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. This is another first. The first time an animal ever died was right here. God's the one who killed it. Now think about this for a second. How do you think God felt about this? He did not create the animals to be killed. They would never have been killed. And, and I, you know, when you tell these stories to kids, they say, well, what about the lion that's going to eat the, the little lamb that didn't happen in the, in the Garden of Eden? Animals didn't eat each other. Animals ate grass. They ate plants. But they didn't eat each other. The first time an animal is killed, it is not by another animal, and it's not by a human being, it's by God. How do you think it made him feel? Now, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, and, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to convince you of this. I just really believe this, and I think there's a lot of reasons why that are legitimate reasons, okay? Because sometimes when I say this, people think, man, that is, where do you get this stuff from? Um, I, I believe the animals in the garden talked, okay? One, one, of the, one of the more solid theologians ever in the existence of humanity was C.S. Lewis, and he believed the animals in the garden talked. He wrote a whole book series called The Chronicles of Narnia about this. Okay, Here's another reason. When the snake said, hey, Eve, she didn't say, what? A snake's talking. <laughs> right? If animals didn't talk, wouldn't that have been somewhere in the mix? Wouldn't that have been, somebody would have said, at least Adam, stand there. Somebody would have said, wait a second, there's a snake talking. Didn't happen. I believe the animals talk. Now, this, this is why, I, yeah, that's right. She's on board right there. This, this is, now, this is part of the reason that I think it's such a big deal. I think God interact, uh, made the animals to interact with humans much better than we interact with animals today. This is why, remember God brings all the animals in front of Adam, and Adam names everyone. But remember the reason God brought all the animals in front of Adam wasn't to name them. That's what he did, but that wasn't the main reason. Remember, he was, he was helping Adam realize that none of the animals were going to be a good mate for him. That's exactly the way Scripture says it. And then he says, after he, after he brings all the animals in front of him, then he says, Adam, now I'm going to mate Make a mate for you that's just for you. It's going to be another human. It's going to not, it's going to not going to be an animal. Well, I believe that Adam interacted with the animals. I believe he talked to them. So think about this. 
The first time that an animal is killed, God kills the animal. Think how God felt about this and think how the animal felt. Do, do, do you kind of get the Abraham Isaac thing going on here? The Abraham takes his son and, 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 it, and Isaac knows he's about to be sacrificed? He knows. And the, what, what, what is going on in Abraham's heart? What's going on in Isaac's heart? Everything? I, I know I'm overdoing this just a little bit, but there's obviously purpose. Did the animal ask God if it could talk? Did the animal ask God, what are you doing? Why are you killing me? See, this is, this is, the, the, this is the beginning of the story of the gospel. Is this animal, whatever animal it was, and we don't know, but whatever animal God used to clothe Adam and Eve, it was an innocent animal. The animal didn't do anything. But he had to kill it so that he could clothe Adam and Eve. And I've said this before, and this is just my thinking from what I read. Most of what I'm saying about all this is coming later in Scripture. It comes from later in Scripture. It doesn't come from these few sentences in, in Genesis. But I believe that the animal skins were still wet with the blood of the animal when he put them on Adam and Eve. And I think he wanted Adam and Eve to know that. And, and here's another thing that you might never have thought about. Were Adam and Eve, did God make Adam and Eve stand there when he killed the animal? Did God make Adam and Eve watch? Because I believe he did. Did he make Adam and Eve watch when this animal was killed because of their sin? This animal hadn't done anything. It's innocent. Now, this is important. You'll see this as we go through there. This, this animal was innocent, but it wasn't transcendent. That, that's the key for the later, for understanding the fullness of the gospel. But the beginnings of the gospel is that blood had to be shed. Now, here's the question. Why did blood have to be shed? Here's the next. This is a major theological question. If God is bigger than anything, he creates the planet. He creates the animals. He creates us. He, he even created Satan. Remember, Satan was, a, was an angel that had fallen. Okay? God creates all of this kind of stuff. Why did God not? Now, usually the way I ask the question is, why didn't God just destroy humanity and start over with either better humanity or something else? Or the, and the answer to that is always, you know, well, he loves people or whatever the case is. But okay, let me ask the other part of the question. Why didn't God just destroy Satan at this point? Because the end of this story is there is going to be blood that needs to be shed, and it has to be innocent blood that has to be shed. Well, that ends up being Jesus. So why doesn't God just destroy Satan right now and just start over? He has the power. He's in charge. Satan's not bigger than him. He has the authority over everything. So why, so why does God, to, to reconcile himself back to people, why doesn't he just reconcile them? And the answer is not because of free will. Free will starts the problem, but that's not why he doesn't just kill Satan, destroy Satan, or, or destroy everything and start over. Because what has happened here is humanity has locked itself into something that it can't get out of. And because of the way humanity locks itself into this, God cannot, because he's a just God, he cannot eradicate it and start over. Because he's a just God. See, what happens is when Adam and Eve voluntarily, and, it, and they do voluntarily, submit 
to Satan, they are now owned by Satan. The authority over them is now in Satan's hands. They voluntarily gave themselves over to Satan. So God, even though God is all-powerful and he's the one, he's the one who put the planet here, he's the one who put the system in place, the people and everything else. And because of free will, they chose to lock themselves into bondage to Satan. So, so God can't just destroy Satan, destroy people or whatever the case is. I mean, he could, but he's a just God and he goes by the rules. And the rules are, these people wanted to belong to Satan, so God, they don't belong to you anymore. So what is God going to have to do? God's going to have to figure out, now figure out's not the right way, but you follow me. God's going to have to come up with a plan that he can buy these people back. Because they now belong to somebody else, and it's not God. Now I guess if God just obliterated everything, maybe, I don't know. But because he's a just God, he is responsible to his own creation that he designed. And so now he has to figure out how to get these people back. And he can't just do it. They have to choose. The same way they chose to be held in bondage is the same choice that they have to make to be under his authority again. But they couldn't just say in the garden, uh, God, we're sorry. Which, by the way, do you notice they never do that? They never say, God, we're sorry. We really messed up. They just hid. And so they couldn't just say, God, we're sorry. No, you, you belong to somebody else. If you want to kind of get a bigger picture of this, read the book of Hosea. Kind of get a bigger understanding of this. God's grace, but our choice, giving ourselves to other people, that kind of thing. So, so God says, okay, I'm going to come up with the plan. And it starts with blood, because that's the life of humanity. Innocent blood has to be sacrificed for non-innocent people. Adam and Eve are no longer innocent here. And innocent blood has to be given for these people. And that's the beginning of the, this whole idea of the, the Old Testament and the blood sacrifices and everything. Let's... Let's jump down to um, Leviticus chapter 16. I, I really don't think that we as human beings totally understand this concept of authority. I think it's one of the bigger subjects in Scripture we, ne we don't really get. We don't understand. We don't wrap our mind around. And, by the way, I really do believe that, that the way that Satan picks on humanity greatly is he tries to subvert and pervert the understanding of authority so we really don't get it. Think about one of the consistent things we've seen for 50, 60, 70 years in the United States. An, a, a cultural attack against authority. The idea of it, not the people. I mean, you can't do one without the other. But, but the idea of authority, the understanding of authority. Because when we, when we can erode authority, when we can, when we can tear down authority, it, tear down, it tears down the, the, the sovereignty of God in our lives. Because he is our authority. He's not just, we do understand that we're part of the family. He's, he's a, he calls us his friend, all these kind of things. But he's still God, we're not. He's an authority, we're not. He's in charge, he's the king. 
We're not. And so this understanding of authority is, is necessary for us to understand how to serve, worship, and be obedient to a transcendent, holy, just, right God that's bigger than us. But if we think, and this is, this is what the church has done because society has pushed it so much, that, that, that one of the basic concepts in, in societal thinking right now is, who are you to tell me something? That's a very basic uh, cultural thing. Who are you? I'm going to make rules. I'm going to make all of them. I'm going to make rules for me, and I'm going to make rules for you. And if you say something that I don't like, if you say something I don't like, I, I will shut you down. I will destroy you in the process. This is just a little one. Did you guys see where Vince Vaughn said hello to the president at, some, at the football game? And all of Hollywood attacked him and said, you're canceled. You're done. We're, you can't shake hands with somebody? I, I don't understand. That. The, our, our culture has got to a point where I'm going to decide everything I want to do, and I'm going to decide everything I want you to do. And if you do anything that goes outside what I think you should do, you are shut down. You are canceled. If you don't agree with my uh, uh, sexual ideas, my marriage ideas, my moral ideas, my spiritual ideas, my political ideas, if you don't agree with them, you are Satan. This, this is, and I try to explain this to my kids because they really are caught up in some of this kind of stuff. Um, not, not saying and doing it, but they but they still are guided by it. I'll say something, and my kids will say, Dad, you can't say that. You, you can't say that. That's whatever. It's, it's racist. It's whatever. What? What? No, nobody, nobody, nobody is going to tell me what I can't say or uh, can say. God only. Nobody else. I don't care if it offends people. I'm 50 years old. Not yet. Linda will be 50 before me. I, I, I am not quite 50 years old yet. And here's the thing. I don't care what people think about what I say. I do care what God thinks. The reason that I don't cuss is because I care what God thinks, not what people think. The reason I don't say certain things is because I care what God thinks, not what people think. If you care what God thinks, you'll be saying the right things. Okay, you will. If you care what people think, you'll never be saying the right things. Ever. This, this, we, we, we get so confused about this stuff. And I get off track with what I'm saying. God is the one that's in authority. We have to keep that in mind. God's the one that's in authority. Humans aren't. God is. Okay, in Leviticus chapter 16, when Aaron was finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it. Now, this is, this is interesting because right before this, few sentences right before here, they, he kills a bull, he kills a different goat. There's two goats involved with this. He kills a bull, he kills a goat, he takes their blood, puts his hands in the blood, and with his fingers he sprinkles the blood all over the altars, um, takes his hand, dips in the blood, puts his hands on the horns of the altars, all this stuff, okay? So his hands are covered with blood when we see this. His hands, he's been dipping them in blood. Then he puts his hands on the goat. Covered the, the goat's head now has blood all over it. 
That, that's kind of actually important. But, and then he confesses over the goat all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Because there's blood on, on that goat's head now. Then a man specially chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As a goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. And kind of the rest of the rules is, um, if, the, uh, if the goat comes back, if the goat, if the goat survives and comes back, um, they'll let it live. And there's some other things with it. But it, they just covered it with blood and sent it out to where all the wild animals that like to eat goats are. It's covered in blood. What are the odds of this goat coming back alive? Zero. Now here's the interesting thing with this. is The, the, the people's sins are not forgiven. It says they're transferred. And the goat, you understand this is where we got the term scapegoat? This is where it came from. The goat goes into the wilderness. Our sins are transferred onto the goat for a year, only one year. We're not forgiven of these sins. The goat just carries them into the wilderness for us. For another year, then they do it all over again. Now, here's another reason why the goat cannot, the the goat, all of this, sacrificing the goat and everything, cannot forgive our sins. Because the goat is innocent, but it's not transcendent. It doesn't transcend this physical existence. It is innocent within this physical existence, but it's not bigger than doesn't transcend it, so it can't forgive us. It can only um, t- take, t- kind of take it away for a while. That kind of thing. We we as eternal human beings, transcendent human beings. You understand that we are also transcendent. We are t- eternal, but not as long as we're in these physical bodies. We're limited to these physical bodies. We, we still are eternal people. You, when, when somebody says, well, I want to get saved so I can live forever, there's a, little, there's a little play on words that they don't realize they're saying when they say that. We're all going to live forever. Whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to live forever. The difference is, is if you belong to Jesus and you've let his blood cover you, in other words, you desire this relationship back, you don't desire to be under the authority of, of Satan. Th- this is why people get confused about the whole hell issue. The reason that that people get sent to hell is not because hell was made for them. The Bible says it wasn't. The Bible says that that hell was made for the devil and his angels. Part of the reason that we're not going to have fun there is because we're not made for it. It wasn't made for us. But the reason that we go there is because we are under the authority. We belong to Satan unless you are bought away from Satan. So as long as you belong to him, you're going to go where he goes. You're going to end up where he ends up. I, I had this kind of revelation epiphany. I said this years ago to some people, and they were talking about, well, you know, we want to do this, and we want to, you know, they were talking about, we want to go to the clubs and get drunk, and we want to take dope and all this other kind of stuff. And, and I said to him, the reason that you want to do that is because you're going where your leader is going. You're headed where your leader is headed. What do you mean? This is the exact same thing Jesus said to the Pharisees. The reason that you are a liar is because your father, Satan, is a liar. You belong to him. You belong to your father, Satan. That's exactly what Jesus said. So, wherever your father goes, you're going to go. 
If you belong to Satan, wherever he goes, you're going to go. That's why, that's why a sin is a natural thing in human existence. We sin very easily. It comes natural. We're going where our Father's going. Where he, that's headed. But if we allow God to buy us out of this, we have to choose that. He's already made all the plans. We have to choose, I want to be bought out. I want to, I want to belong to you. Then... We don't go where Satan goes. We now go where our father goes. Who do we belong to? That's where I'm going. This is one of the things that the church has really pushed away from our core existence. It used to be our core existence. I'm saying all, all evangelical church. We've pushed this far from us. Is this idea of when I get saved, I now belong to God. I'm going to think, look, and act like him. And I'm not going to think, look, and act like Satan. And the church has done a really good job of trying to blend those enough that we can think, look, and act like Satan, but call ourselves belonging to God. This is where there has to be a separation. It's what we call holiness. It has to be a separation. Is that the direction your father is going? This is why I know I pick on this one sometimes, but this is just an easy one that just gets under my skin. Is Christians that cuss. Who do you think cusses, God or Satan? I'm serious. Who do you think cusses, God or Satan? It ain't God. So which direction are you going? Are you going in the direction of your father? Yes. And what's coming out of your mouth is showing which one you're going after. There, I said it. You, you want to you follow Satan? Do the things he's doing. Follow him. But don't claim you're following God. At what point do we follow God and make choices? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to act like that. I'm not going to think like this. I'm the one making the choices. When we're bought out of that, that, that authority that Satan has over us, we're not going to end up where he's going. He ends up in hell. We're not going to because we belong to God, and we're following our Father. We're going the direction he wants us to go. Jesus says... <clears throat> In uh, Matthew chapter 26, verse 27, he, he says, this is part of the uh, Last Supper. We, we know this. We know this language. But there's a, there's a lot more involved, I think, sometimes than we see. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink it. You, you understand, he took it, he blessed it, and they just passed it around. They all drank out of the same cup. Which is why for years the Catholics did communion that way, by the way. Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. My blood is the key to the covenant. The covenant between what? God and his people. What is the covenant between Satan and his people? Sin. Sin bonds the covenant between Satan and his people. And when we sin, we make sure that Satan is the one who's in authority. We're, we're, we're sealing that covenant. We're sealing that covenant. It's like the marriage uh, verbiage. When we, when we allow the blood of Jesus to cover us, we say to Jesus, I do. I belong to you. I do. When we sin, we say to Satan, I do. I belong to you. This is the covenant that we have. And it's between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to the, forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink it again. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. 
Which is another little sentence that I've used before when people say, well, Jesus drank wine, why can't we? But he stopped. And he won't drink it again. Until it, if that's your argument, which I think is a dumb argument, but if that's your argument, Jesus stopped 2,000 years ago, when are you going to stop? When, when are you going to stop drinking? Because he says, I'm not drinking this again until I'm with you again. You might want to think about that. It's amazing to me how many Christians defend their right to drink alcohol. That one just drives me crazy. Just absolutely benign. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. And then look at this. Because God's children are human beings. And that's the key. We're humans. I'm a human, you're a human. The animals, while innocent, were not transcendent. They were also not human beings. But they were physical. I'm physical, you're physical. Animals were physical, but they weren't human and they weren't transcendent. But they were innocent, which was part of the scenario. For only as a human being, I'm sorry, let me go back up. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. The sacrifice had to be, since it's for us, it has to be from us too. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying, could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death? See, remember, Eve said, Satan said to Eve, you're going to know both good and evil. She already knew good. She already knew good. This was the deception that Satan does. He'll lie to you a little bit. Tell you a little bit of truth, lie to you a little bit. You'll know both good and evil. She already knew all good. The only thing that was added was evil. The only thing that began to happen when, when Adam and Eve sinned was dying. They had already been living. They were never going to die. The only thing that was added was death. Because that's who Satan is. That's who he is. He added death. And so for Jesus, he has to die to go into that death so that he can deliver them and redeem them and, and, and purchase them out of that death. God, God wasn't part of death. Jesus wasn't part of death. Human beings became part of death. And so God has to reach into that death, and he has to pull them out, and he has to do that through his own death. And he says, by, only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Really slaves to the bigger picture. In fact, Paul uses this terminology all through Scripture. That as human beings, we're slaves. We're slaves to sin. We're slaves to Satan. We're slaves to fear. We're slaves to all this stuff. Because why? The reason he uses the term slaves is because we voluntarily gave the authority from God to Satan. We were not slaves to God. Paul uses terminology that he wants to be a bond slave to God. The concept of bond slave is that it's a contractual thing. When we do this with Satan, it's not contractual. It's, it's um, a covenant of sin. We are slaves to sin because, I mean, uh, to Satan because of sin. And Jesus says, I'm going to break that bondage. But to do this, I've got to come into human form and I have to die. And I've got to go into that death so that you can be brought out of that death. Th this, is, this is an amazing, beautiful story. I... It's, you know, you have, you have these, these epic books and movies and stuff like the Lord of Rings and stuff like that. This, this story is way better than all of them. 
This is, if we could see the visual of this, if it could really be seen, not the, not the nice little Sunday school version of this story. But I, I, wish, we could, we, I wish we could allow somebody like, like uh, J.R.R. Tolkien to take, and he kind of did, really, and so did C.S. Lewis. But take this story and say, okay, now, verbalize it, visualize it, because in 100 years we're going to make a movie, and it's going to be really cool. Right? That we could see, we could see what's going on spiritually. We could see what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. We could see it. See, we don't understand. We think they ate apple. Oh, I need a fig leaf. You know, it's not that kind of thing. There's a lot more to this. There's a transfer of authority. There's a transfer of, 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 uh, of, of covering, this demonic covering now, this, this evil covering now. And Jesus says, I'm going to go right in the middle of that thing. This is why, this is why it says that Jesus took the keys to, to sin, hell, and the grave. He walked right in the middle of that thing and said, you have no power. You have no authority. He walked right in the middle of the, the most evil of darkness of everything, and he shone just as bright as any other moment. And he looked Satan in the eyes and he said, they belong to me. You, you convinced them, but they belong to me. And he took the authority. Now this is the key, is we have to do it willingly. Satan lies. Remember, he's the father of lies. All he has is lies. And all he does is lie to us and convinces us that we need to stay where he is. He's the protector He's the coverer. The, the, the closest I've come to seeing this in a very real visual sense is w- when I was working with Sarah's home and we're working with these girls. And they've got their, their pimp's name tattooed on their body. And, and <clears throat> one girl in particular that we worked with probably eight or nine months before she could say for the very first time she had been, she had been a uh, prostitute of his since she was nine years old. And she's about 12 or 13 at the time I was interacting with her. And we would try to get her to realize that her pimp was the bad guy. She would call him her boyfriend. His name was tattooed on her body. Do, do you see all of the spiritual significance to this? That Jesus will, will, the scripture says that he will write his name on us? And to convince, and I remember the first time this little girl prayed and said, I want to feel in my heart separate from him. Because he's not my boyfriend. And this was a major breakthrough for her. Because he had lied to her, he had deceived her, and she thought, she thought that her, her hope, her um, physical health, that her mental, spiritual, emotional stability in life, that everything, that everything rotated around this pimp. He was her provider, her savior, her take care of every issue going on out there. And the first moment we could convince her, your pimp is the bad guy, was a major breakthrough for her. Do you you realize how we are that person? And Satan is our pimp, and he has tattooed his name on us, and Jesus is saying, if you just can see truth. If you can just see the love, if you can just see the light of who I am, if you can just see that, you can be free of that bondage. You can be free of that stuff. You can be free of that junk. And this is the goofy thing we do in the church nowadays is we will defend belonging to Satan. We will defend sin and stupid behavior. We will defend uh, immoral thinking. We will defend all this stuff. 
And, and Satan is just laughing at us. And he's tattooed his name on us. And Jesus is saying, I've walked right into that darkness and death, and I have delivered you if you want to be delivered. If you want to be delivered, I will deliver you. But you've got to make the choice. And guys, this is the point. This is why I'm saying all this. For two reasons. One, for us. But secondly, there are people all over this world that need to be freed from that bondage. There are people all over this world that are in darkness, deep darkness, and they need to be freed. They need somebody to tell them, this, this God of Hinduism, this God of Islam, this God of Buddhism, this God of Taoism, this animistic, spiritualistic God, they're not real. It's all just a, a covering for Satan to keep you in the darkness, to keep you bound what point do we, do we finance light going to them? At what point do we pray light going to them? At what point do we do what we can do to get the gospel to people around the world? It truly is. We use these terms, but it truly is life or death for these people. Our guys that take these pictures of all these people, I've, <clears throat> I've walked in those villages. I... I those are people. They're people. Just like you and I, they're people. They need this light. They need this opportunity to be delivered. He said only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son didn't come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. This, we're different than angels. And let me add this in here. Jesus didn't come to die for the animals, too. He came to die for people, for you, for me. And, and, and he specifically, Paul specifically saying this here as <clears throat> the starting point is the descendants of Abraham. He came to die for Jewish people. Descendants of Abraham. I mean, we have the opportunity, if, unless you're a Jew, you have the opportunity, just like I do, that I can be grafted in, I can be adopted into this thing. But he's starting this conversation where it starts, the descendants of Abraham. He says, therefore, it is necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. This is talking about Jesus. So that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. I always, I always visualize it like this, <clears throat> that there's, there's God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. There was Adam and Eve, and there was Satan. And Satan enticed Adam and Eve, enticed Adam and Eve. And he got them to spin around, and now it's people, Satan, God. And so God busts through this thing with the blood of Jesus Christ and looks people straight in the eyes and says, if you want to go with me, I'll take you out of here. But you've got to go with me. If you want to stay with Satan... Do you want to go with me? And that's the choice. That's, that's the choice. That's the choice for all of us. Do you want to stay with Satan? Do you want to go with Jesus? Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> we're going to pray two things. First, we're going to pray for us. 
There's no way, there's no way I can unpack this like this and us not at least say, Jesus, forgive my sins. Right? Don't we have to go there after all that? Um, and I think at different places, different ways we are in here, different places, I think you have the opportunity this morning to, to, to make a decision to say something to Jesus. Wherever you are, wherever you are, a Christian, not a Christian, wherever you are, to say, Jesus, I want to go with you. I don't want to go with Satan. Because he's trying to, Satan's trying to get you to go with him right now. I want to go with you, God. I want to belong to you. So obviously we're going to pray that for ourselves. And then the next part of this is, Lord, give me a heart to, to, to take this story to the people that you love all over this earth. Jesus wants to look Africans and Indians and South Americans and, and even French people. He wants to look them in the eye. And, uh, and he wants to tell them, I love you. Do you want to go with me? Do you want to go with me? We have that opportunity. So let's pray. God, we, we come to you. We submit to you. Jesus, you're the king. You're the king of every human on this planet. Satan pulls so many people away from you. He convinces them. He, his plan's the best. Jesus, you're the king. Lord Jesus, first we acknowledge and we also thank you for coming to this earth and taking on this physicalness just so that you could die. Lord, we are indebted toward eternity and all through eternity for that, that simple thing that you did that was so big. So Jesus, help us not to take it for granted. Help us to serve you. So Jesus, I pray for me. Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean. I don't, I don't want to follow Satan. I don't want to follow the stuff and the, the lies and the enticements that he does. Lord, I want to follow you. I choose you right now. I choose you. I want you to be my father. I want to follow your path. I want you to be my God, my king. I want you to be an authority over me. I want your blood to cover me and forgive me. God, I pray that for every one of us in here. Holy Spirit, don't let anybody pass by this moment. Convict us. Every person in this room, convict us. And help us to call out to you that we want to follow you, Lord. We don't want to follow Satan's junk. We don't want to follow his lies and his plan and his path. I want, to, I want to be free from sin and I want to choose something besides sin. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray that our, our souls, our hearts will be softened for people around the world. God, that, that, we'll, that we'll let you speak into our lives. That we need to be people of prayer for the gospel around the world. We need to be missionally prayer-minded people. Lord, we need to be givers to missions around the world. 
the gospel, the gospel going forth, not just, not just good programs around the world, but the gospel going to people's lives and hearts and minds. Lord, help us to be givers to the gospel. And God, help us to be goers. Lord, that you'll stir our hearts. We'll look for ways to go <clears throat> cross-culturally. And we'll look for ways to go on, on missions trips or long-term missions things or maybe even being a missionary. Lord, you know the plan. Speak it to us. Speak it to us. Lord, I pray that we at Church of Burgate we will keep missions as a primary focus of the reason why we exist. That we want people in Colorado Springs to get saved, but we also want people around the world to get saved. We're not going to put one over the other. We want people to get saved. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to be thinking <clears throat> this week. Again, we're not going to have like a formal pledge, goal, drive kind of thing. But I, I want you to be thinking next this week, coming into next week. Then when we get to the end of the service next week, we're going to ask God to show us what he wants us to do. Pray that he'll show you now. You're not going to tell anybody about it unless you want to. Um, but the Holy Spirit will show you, and we want you to make a decision. So be thinking about that as you come in the next week that you make a decision. You say, this is what I'm doing. 2020, this is what I'm going to do missionally. This is, this is how I'm going to structure my prayer time. Maybe give you a handful of missionaries to pray for. That's all next week. So um, be thinking about it. Be praying about it. God, what do, you want to, what do you want us to do? If you're married, talk to your spouse. If you've got a family, talk to the kids. Talk to them. And uh, let God speak to you, right? So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that they truly are the center of God's plan. They really are. Tell them how much God loves them and he'll honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand before you leave here. Maybe even hug them if they look open to that. And, uh, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.